0: You know, we all make mistakes. But there are mistakes and then there are mistakes. If your barber makes a mistake, he calls it a new hairstyle. If your boss makes a mistake, it's not his mistake, it's your mistake. If a driver makes a mistake, it could cause a serious accident. If your doctor makes a mistake, it could cost a life. See, we live in a society that loves to initiate litigation over just about anything and everything. We can understand it, perhaps, when a doctor receives the wrong blood type due to a careless processing of the blood products, or a right leg is amputated instead of the left one, but we read of a host of frivolous lawsuits in the news every day because of an individual, uh, an individual's carelessness or neglect. There is a growing reluctance in our society to accept personal responsibility. For years, it was the standard advice of hospitals and insurance companies to never disclose a medical mistake, fearing that that would lead to to a greater payout in medical malpractice. But in 1999, the Veterans Hospital in Lexington, Kentucky, decided to try something different. They encouraged their staff members to apologize when they did harm to a patient or their family, and even discuss with the victim's ways to prevent future errors. Now, after putting that policy into effect, the hospital discovered that its court-ordered payouts dropped significantly. Many of the patients who had grounds to sue either chose not to or settled out of court for lesser amounts than they would have likely received had they gone to trial. Naturally, those results got the attention of the whole medical industry, including the insurance companies. And further studies stood conventional legal advice on its ear. Recent experience shows that apologies can disarm a significant number of potential malpractice suits. And some hospitals, even a decade ago, were experiencing a 30% drop in payments related to legal claims as a result. There will always be people who see in every circumstance an opportunity for financial gain. That doesn't mean that there's not sometimes a legitimate need for financial compensation. But it does mean something, at least to some of us, when people honor us as a human being and treat us like a real person. But isn't an apology always accompanied by sincere feeling? I can remember when one of our kids would do something to their sibling and we would ask them to apologize. Parents, you know the the drill. You, you, You ask for that kind of response and you get a, I'm sorry said with little or no sincerity. It was a calculated expression of regret, hopefully to get them out of trouble and conform merely to the letter, but not necessarily to the spirit of the law. So let me ask you this question. Does repentance count if there's a big payoff? We know that mistakes will be made in any field of endeavor, but if an apology gets you off the hook for some kind of penalty... Can an act of repentance be really sincere? I think we're all skeptics to some degree and wonder if an apology is really a sign of remorse or is it just a tactic to ward off unpleasant circumstances? Apology is also being practiced in many business settings. Have you ever had a problem with an electronic device or an appliance that caused you to call the manufacturer's helpline? If you notice, many times these days, when you finally get through to a customer rep and explain your problem, the rep responds, I do apologize for that, immediately. A while back, I called a company to track a problem that I was having, and in the five-minute conversation, the customer service rep apologized, I think, three or four, five times. She began every response with, I'm sorry, sir, to the point where I was beginning to doubt her sincerity and almost wish she would just quit saying it from the manufacturer's point of view, the apology makes sense even if it's canned because it deflects a lot of the customer's anger. But if it's not a genuine apology, does it count in the higher scheme of things? This is certainly a valid question that we ask in the church, especially on Ash Wednesday. There's an old cartoon showing a father, mother, and their young son exiting the church after the service and the father looks quite irritated and he says to the son, I wish you would stop referring to the church as the repentagon. The boy was right. Repentance is a critical part of the church's message. And we do hear it a lot. Maybe that's one of the only places we hear that terminology used is here in the church. But, and we might think at least when dealing with a God who can see what's in our hearts, that our repentance is only effective when it is deeply felt. The biblical evidence, however, gives us a different measure of repentance. Rather than quiz sinners about the depth of their emotions when claiming to repent, God often seems more interested in the intention and how it is worked out in changed behavior. In this Old Testament lesson that we just heard from Isaiah chapter 58, God expresses his displeasure at the ritual acts of repentance performed by members of the prophet's nation because the acts were empty and did not result in holy living or changed behavior. And the act in question was fasting, a valid religious practice, but the fasting undertaken by the prophet's contemporaries is the sort that has one, you know, one eye open to detect whether the Lord was noticing how sincere their fasting appeared. And God actually quotes the people's complaint with him. He says, why do we fast? But you you do not see. Why humble ourselves, but you didn't even notice? And then God answers, look, you're serving your own interests on your fast day. At the same time as they were fasting, these same people were oppressing other people. God says that the kind of fasting that is acceptable to him is the sort that's laden with true repentance. The kind in which the, 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 the person is not just asking for forgiveness, but moved to correct his or her sins and wrongdoing. So using this passage as a guide, I find it unlikely that apologizing to avoid a lawsuit really counts for much on God's contribution scale. But if that apology also results in changed behavior, and new precautions to protect other patients from similar errors, then maybe it has some merit, whether it sidetracks the immediate lawsuit or not. Our concern tonight is our own relationship with God. In those times when we have sinned against God and and other people, and thankfully God offers us forgiveness and fresh beginnings, and repentance is the place where we start. But this passage from Isaiah shows that repentance is not a feeling, uh, is not just about feeling bad. It's not just about performing some ritual. it is all about in our intention and our follow-through. It's both of those things. The traditional words of invitation in some uh, liturgies for the uh, invitation to the Lord's Supper uh, call us call those who do truly and earnestly repent of their sin and intend to ne- lead a new life, to come and gather at the table. Now it's at that point the intention is, not, is enough to make us welcome at the communion meal. And that is probably because intention is a pro- productive state of mind that causes results. Intention, in fact, is the energy of repentance. Now energy may seem like an odd word to use here, for sometimes, when we respond to God's call, we're in a state of complete exhaustion. We may be turning to God because we're at the end of our rope, end of our resources. But energy is the right word, for it focuses on what we have, uh, we want to happen, we want to see happen, and that wanting energizes our turning around, and that's the literal word the literal meaning of the word repentance, to turn around, to go in a new direction. That's illustrated by a teenage boy whose father caught him doing something that he knew he wasn't supposed to be doing, and the boy protested, but I didn't mean to. Father replied, that isn't enough. You should have meant not to. There needed to be some energy to drive righteousness rather than the energy less falling into whatever came along. Of course, that's what happens after we leave the communion table or get up from our prayer time or speak an apology. Uh, And what happens after that in terms of changed behavior is really the truth of our intention. The steps we take to lead a new life determine whether for us communion or conversion or remorse is just a sham or if it's something truly holy. Looking at the fact that people have learned that an apology may keep down their financial liability sometimes makes that, that apology suspect. But does that mean that we shouldn't apologize? Of course not. Likewise, who can guarantee that our repentance from sin always arises from truly pure motives? Fortunately, God doesn't ask for that kind of guarantee Rather, God looks at our heart, he looks at our intention, he looks at the follow-through of that intention, and right right intentions without results, God says, are truly empty. But results without right intentions are are conniving. But right intentions with appropriate results is what repentance is all about. It's the way we live the holy life. A few months ago, I preached a short series of messages on the subject of character. Character is doing the right thing as defined by God, regardless of the personal cost. And I think the issue of character also applies in the subject of repentance. People can say anything they want, but going through the motions, whether it's in a worship service, a communion service, or whatever, reciting the psalm... Exciting liturgy or prayers are all empty acts of worship unless they are accompanied by change of behavior. If repentance does not result in holy living and changed behavior and greater character in us, it's not true repentance. Jesus said that by our fruit, by our actions, by our deeds, by our behavior, by our character, people will know if this religion truly is, uh, has meaning. It will be evident if the character of Christ lives in us. It will be evident to the people around us. Will you pray with me? Eternal God, you are the one who is the searcher of our hearts. And tonight is a starting point for looking deep within ourselves. So help us to peel away the layers of deception. Help us in these moments to to see through the shadows of sin that we may claim your healing light. Let us sift through our self-doubts and our worries to discover your abiding presence. Forgive us for avoiding an honest look within ourselves and for abandoning the search for truth. God, we know that you are merciful and you are gracious and you are slow to anger and you are abounding in steadfast love. And on this night, we begin a season of repentance. And we pray that you would show us our misdeeds and our sins that that are ever before us, and you would wash away our guilt, and you would cleanse us from all sin. Let your light break into the dark places of our hearts and confront the things that we keep hidden in the dark. Our preoccupation with ourselves, our lustful imaginations, our secret ambitions, the buried grudges, the half acknowledged hatreds, the bitterness of the past, the fear of failure, the comforts of life to which we cling, the negativism that insults your will and power. God, open our hearts tonight to receive your truth and to receive your forgiveness and to receive your love. In Jesus' name we pray.